Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be bald and bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball, full gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm, sperm cast. Hey, folks, how you doing? Don't answer that because I can't hear you. Oh man, that joke's been done before, but not by me. Okay, so first, some updates on my reproductive system. When I left you last week, I had met with Dr. Kalen, and my cyst was shrinking. I had a bunch of follicles on both of my ovaries, but it didn't look like one of them was leading the way. My uterine lining was thin, so his interpretation, I was essentially at the beginning of my cycle. We decided to use this month to do an unmedicated IUI with monitoring and to do IVF next month when my hormones were balanced. Dr. Kalen was out of town, so I met with his lovely colleague, Dr. Winkler. Lining, we have 6.7. Okay, so the uterine lining is 6.7. Then she looks at the right ovary. Okay, it's a natural IUI? Mm-hmm. Oh. We have... But maybe that one's the cyst. 10.3. Maybe. We have a 6.3. The other ones are all small. And on the left... They're all small, actually. The biggest one is really this one. Which one? The biggest one I gave you, the 11 point? 11. Yeah, that was on the right. Mm -hmm. Great. So I think one of them probably just assists shrinking down. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. The biggest one seems to be on the right, this one here. So I think that's the one that is currently growing, and you're probably going to ovulate on that side. Okay. So if it's 11 today, 12 today, We'll see you back on Monday. Yeah. You should probably search kind of somewhere on Wednesday. Okay. So most likely your IUI should fall the end of next week. Yeah, okay. But we'll see. Monday will have a good sense. So there you have it. Today's Monday, and this morning I went to see Dr. Kalin for my next ultrasound. Um, All right, how are you? Good. I'm fine. (laughs) How's your follicle? Your beautiful follicle? It's doing fine. do Do you feel like the... Golden egg growing inside of you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think I still have time. Let's see. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I, let's see. Lining is... I'm going to go 7.3. Did you hear that? The lining is 7.3. Right side, lots of pressure. So that looks like a follicle. I think that is 16.5. Ooh, it's grown from 11 to 16.5 since Friday. That's fun. And then I think this, this was the cyst. You see how it's kind of like... He's referring to a shape right next to the follicle that kind of looks like a follicle, but it's pretty misshapen, so he thinks it's the cyst. It's still going away. So, I betcha you're going to surge 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, something like that. Dr. Winkler asked if you wanted to do a trigger shot, and I said I'd, we hadn't talked about it. My only question to her was, how would that affect my cycles if I did IVF next month? And she said, not at all. My other question, in addition to that, is um, I've had low progesterone in the past. Do I want, after I ovulate, do I want to... We can give you But does that affect? That can affect it a little bit. Uh, maybe then I shouldn't. It shouldn't affect it too much. It really shouldn't. Just because it's some vaginal progesterone. This is what your ovulation gets. If you do not have a positive by... Thursday, you come in on Friday. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And if on Friday there's still no positive and there's still a big old follicle there, then we'll give you a trigger shot. That okay. And then if I do have a positive, then I just call you guys. Okay? Okay. Great. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I like it. Cool. So a pretty boring week as far as my reproductive system goes, but I did have an interesting week otherwise, and I think I'm going to tell you about it. So last week I went on a first date, a Tinder date, just a simple walk around Echo Park Lake. Four days later, I thought he was breaking up with me. That's how crazy this story is. (laughs) Oh, let me take you back. Let's call this fella John to protect his identity. And he's got a smart job, so let's say he's an aerospace engineer. Great. So we meet up at Echo Park and we have a nice walk. We stop halfway around the lake to have a seat on the park bench to talk and learn more about each other. Every now and again, someone interrupts to say hello to him. John, what up, bro? Hey, John. Hola, John. It's his hood. People like him. What a great sign. His funny way of thinking tickles me. He's interesting and weird. I wonder, should I tell him or not? Usually I tell a guy about the podcast and my quest for motherhood only if I don't like that guy, which is most of the time. That way they'll be freaked out and I won't have to ever see them again. But this guy... Something about John made me feel like I could tell him and he'd find it interesting. So I did. And he did. And it quickly became all we could talk about. He had all kinds of questions and a couple stories of his own. And wouldn't you know it, he wants babies too. Almost as badly as me. So badly that he froze his sperm not long ago. What? Now this is a man, people. Someone who has a brain and the foresight to know that sperm quality goes downhill with age. Wow. We tried to break away from the topic of babies, but it kept coming up. By the time we got off the park bench, we had gone over every single possible scenario. Dating, having a baby together. What if it didn't work? Could we transition right into co-parenting? Or would it be too complicated? What if we ended up hating each other? Or worse, what if one of us was madly in love with the other and it wasn't reciprocated? You know what else was cool about this guy? He seemed to really like me. Like he would look at me with these skeptical eyes that said, Who is this woman? Is this real? Is this the mother of my children sitting right before me? He got into my car, and I dropped him at his next Tinder date. Friday, we had date number two. We met at my place. It was awkward at first since, you know, we'd already talked about making babies with each other, but we'd only spend about an hour and a half together. We walked to dinner and we had a lovely time, but of course, the subject of babies and making them kept coming up. Again, we tried not to talk about it, but it was just too fun to avoid. After dinner, we came back to my place and we made out on the couch, but he was being very, very cautious. He was looking at the potential mother of his children, after all, and he was understandably in his head. I was in my head, too, but not nearly as badly, because I had a little bit better of a grip on reality. 
I mean, this was all brand new information to him, but I've been immersed in it for a year and a half. For one, sperm donation is not easy. There's STD tests, genetic screening, sperm analysis. And what about the part where I don't want a romantic involvement with my donor, like whatsoever? I don't want complications. I don't want to be tied to a man I'm not in love with for 18 years. I don't want to argue about how to raise a child with a complete stranger. I was a good girl and I told him it wouldn't work. In fact, I warned him from night one. I said, I'll have my baby now and then if we're still dating in a year and a half and we're in love, we can try and have baby number two. But you better believe in the back of my head I was thinking I could have unprotected sex with this guy next week during my ovulation window when I'm having my IUI before and after. I'd have sperm coming at that egg from every direction. Ugh, I would never do that, you guys, but a girl can dream, can't she? Now, I want to go on about the ridiculousness of what happened next, but it's rated R, almost X. Let's just say we had good chemistry and lots of laughs because he kept commenting on my body like I was some goddess of fertility. It was kind of the best. At one point, he even thanked me for allowing him to be part of this experience. So funny and absurd, but sexy, too. The next morning, he texted me a copy of what he sent to his lawyer. Hi, lawyer. I'm a 44-year-old man who recently, within the last couple of weeks, met a 40-year-old woman. She very much wants a baby and is about to start the process of artificial insemination with the sperm of another donor. We are considering trying to conceive through intercourse, but she doesn't want to commit to having a child with me as we do not really know each other yet. Understandable. She is more comfortable at this stage treating my sperm as if I were a donor. Therefore, we are considering a pre-pregnancy contract. No, we're not. We never said anything about a contract. (laughs) Basically, basically, this contract would say, one, the baby is hers. I have no rights to be in the child's life as if I were a sperm donor. Two, I have no legal responsibility to this child as if I were a sperm donor. Three, if the relationship works, which will take some time for us to figure out, we can both agree to void the contract and live happily ever after with our baby. Is a contract like this possible? Thanks, John. I mean, what, what is, what do I say about this email, everybody? He's nuts, right? But funny, too. And like, in another world, in a world in which everything worked out all the time, wouldn't it be fun to just meet a man that wants kids and a week later start trying to have kids with him? Oh, it sounds so fun and so easy, but it's not realistic. Not for me. I'm not about to just flush my whole year and a half of knowledge and experience down the toilet because one guy who's maybe a little smart and kind of interesting wants to give me his sperm and possibly more. Nevertheless, I humored him and let him send me his 23andMe just to make sure we were genetically compatible. If you'll recall, I'm a carrier of cystic fibrosis, Pompeii disease, and alpha-1. I searched on his 23andMe and I couldn't find any of the diseases. Where were they? I told him to look and five minutes later he texted me the news. Oh no, I have one of the variants of the CFTR gene. That's cystic fibrosis, you guys. Ugh, terrible news. It meant if we had a baby together, we'd have a 1 in 4 chance of having a baby with cystic fibrosis. Our whole romantic and absurd bubble just burst. He wrote, I failed you. I told him I was sad. But it didn't change much in the real world because like I said, I wouldn't have tried to make a baby with him this round anyway. The only actual reality I saw even before he told me about the cystic fibrosis was the one I said to him earlier. You remember, I have my baby now by myself and we date for a year and a half and if we still want to have a baby then we do it later on. But the fact is, in a year and a half, I'm going to be 42 and a half and probably need IVF regardless. And if I'm doing IVF, that includes PGS testing. So we could still make babies and just pick the embryos that don't have cystic fibrosis. Our reality was still the same. But our fantasy bubble was no more.
He texted, "Meet later." Meet later? Excuse me? What are you? What are you? What are you gonna? What are you gonna dump me after four days of knowing me? Oh, just because I can't be your fertility goddess anymore? You were just using me for my womb? I don't think so, my friend. No, because this morning I was gonna have a conversation with you. I was gonna tell you we need to stop living in a fantasy world. We need to stop talking about babies so that you and I can actually figure out if we actually like each other and want to date each other in the real world. But no, he beats me to the punch, and he carries cystic fibrosis too. Ugh, selfish. I text him back. Meet later, like for a discussion or to hang out. Forty fucking minutes later, he writes back, "Both." Oh, please, are you kidding me? Both? I didn't respond. Ten minutes later, he writes, "I'm sad." Oh my goodness, he's so cute. And I'm actually sad too, a little bit. But this is Hollywood, baby. I mean, nothing ever really works out. I'd love for this whole journey to be over right now, but I just have to keep going until I have my baby. Aerospace engineer named John, who treats me like a goddess of fertility or not. As a wise woman once said, you have your whole life to fall in love, but if you want to have a baby, you'll have to do it now. I'm pretty sure I was the wise woman that said that, but I, I I'm not sure. If you said it, let me know. Anyway, we met later on, and we had a good time, and now we're just, you know, hanging out and seeing what happens, like normal people do when they date on Tinder. Okay, now let me introduce you to this week's guest. Her name's Shelley Gossman. She's worked as a writer for SNL, Raising Hope, and has just started her second season of AP Bio, where she is a writer and co-executive producer. And she's a great interior designer. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah. I'm available for low rate. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> but what does all this have to do with sperm cast, Molly? Well, Shelly had cancer twice, and I think this has given her a very unique perspective on motherhood. I wanted to hear her story. I had cancer when I was 23 mm -hmm. and didn't freeze eggs because it was all happening so fast. That was lymphoma. They say maybe caused by like pesticide runoff in the water in Iowa. Like oh if gosh. you have mono when you're in high school or something, you can have a mutation. And oh then I also am a BRCA person, which means oh. I have that gene that Angelina Jolie has. Yeah, um, We share a lot of genes. I'm also extremely attractive. Yes, yes. <laughs> Super voluptuous. Very big lips. For those of you who don't know, there's a gene called BRCA1 and another called BRCA2, also known as BRCA1 and 2. And an inherited mutation to either of these genes increases your risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer, like, a lot. So for breast cancer, about 12% of women in the general population will develop breast cancer at some point in their lives. But with the harmful BRCA1 mutation, that number goes up to 72%. And for BRCA2, 69%. For ovarian cancer, about 1.3% of women in the general population develop ovarian cancer in their lifetime. But with the BRCA1 mutation, that number goes up to 44%. That's crazy. If you have breast or ovarian cancer in your family, it is a good idea to try and find out if the person with cancer had the BRCA gene mutation, and if so, to get a genetic screening for yourself, because it is very heritable, and there are some preventative measures that you can take. I knew that I was at high risk of getting ovarian cancer, but I thought I had till I was 40. And they say that you're at risk for breast and ovarian, but I really, my aunts, I had three aunts die of ovarian, so I thought they didn't know enough. And I was like, I'm not going to get breast. No one's gotten breast. And then my first year of marriage, I got breast cancer. And it was the fastest growing that I'd ever seen at Cedars, probably because I had had my chest radiated from my first cancer. Oh so my God. 
there was very little time. If I had gotten my ovaries out before I was 35 at the time, if I'd gotten my ovaries out before that, I wouldn't have gotten breast cancer. It greatly reduces your chance of getting breast cancer. So everything, I need to get breasts removed, ovaries removed very quickly. And our first year anniversary, I was getting my first chemo for breast cancer. So in the time of knowing my husband, one, I never felt I don't want to say called to be a mom, but I felt mm-hmm. like I was never ready to sign up for everything it means. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all the, I would be totally fine with having a happy, healthy kid who died after me, but right, anything right. other than that, all the things that can happen, I didn't feel like I could be emotionally well if mm-hmm. any of those things happened, if my kid got sick, if mm-hmm. my child got hurt, you know, like if my child got bullied, I'm like, I would be one of those moms who, like goes and strangles someone. So I just didn't feel, I felt like unprepared for the emotional, for the good and the bad, more, mostly the bad. But when I met my husband, he's like the Pied Piper of children. They flock to him. He's amazing. He's tall and handsome and good with kids and likes to teach people like how to sail and chop wood. And he was like, oh my God, this person would be an amazing dad. Yeah. And so even though I didn't feel like I really wanted to be a mom, also being in comedy and... I, I had worked at SNL and I had worked at Second City and none of the, not the, neither of those jobs felt like mom friendly. Right. And to be honest, I still do think it feels scary to have a child when you're trying to be great, yeah. at, not be great, but be you know take every job that you need to take to get to the top. Like yeah, to be a hustler. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's tough. And so I was like, I think my life purpose is to be a woman who succeeds in comedy and helps other women and I'm not going to have kids. But then this great guy comes along and I was like, well, let me be open to it. And I was truly killing myself, like trying to be force myself to be ready. And and I even said to him, we shouldn't get married because you do want kids. And I know that I don't. And he mm-hmm. was like, well, we know we love each other right now. So that's all we know. And we'll cross the bridges that come. And then when we got married and immediately it was taken away mm. and like it it is hard, even if you think you don't want a kid, just to have your options taken away is a hard thing. But in a way, it also took the pressure I was putting on myself. I was constantly like, you have to figure it out. And he deserves to be a dad. And you know, like, all I, w- yeah. I was struggling with it so much. And then the decision was kind of made for me. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, what was all that worry and trying to figure out how to control this? It's like, we don't ultimately control anything which i know that you're experiencing that in on your I own I control journey. everything <laughs> i try at least <laughs> yeah so now i can't have kids and i feel completely great about it <laughs> very happy very content yeah did you just have your ovaries removed or the whole full hysterectomy um i just had my ovaries removed <laughs> I make a joke with my husband that um, soon I'm going to just be like a torso on a skateboard and he's going to have to pull me around. But I, I had, um, chemo first, mastectomies and then oophorectomies, but I wanted to keep my uterus just because I felt like there was a small chance that you can have urinary incontinence or something. And I was like, just oh. let me keep one thing that, that makes me a girl. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> I had a question for Shelly at this time, but I forgot what it was. When we finished recording, I remembered. So we captured this on the cell phone. I asked her if it was possible for her to carry even though she had her ovaries removed. 
Yes, and one of my friends who was sick at the same time I did just carried a baby. Mm-hmm. She did freeze eggs, or she uh, froze embryos. Maybe? Embryos, and uh, she carried a baby in her own uterus, her own baby in her own uterus oh. through in vitro. Yeah, but when you find out that you have to remove your ovaries, they make you meet with a fertility counselor, but you have to pay out of pocket. Mm-hmm. And when I was meeting with the fertility counselor, they were like, oh, you actually have a bicornuate uterus. So my uterus is dangerous for carrying babies. Anyway, I feel like I have like 20 reasons. One, I carry a very dangerous gene. Two, I've had cancer twice and lots of chemo in my body. Three, I have a bicornuate uterus, which if the baby implants in the wrong side, in the smaller side, it can like does that mean it crushed. has a septum? Because I talked to somebody yesterday mm. that had a septum in their uterus. <laughs> I don't really know. I feel like I it means there's it? two there's two sections of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, Maybe that's what it is. I'll look at it. Bicornuate uterus. B-I-C-O-R-N-U-A-T-E. It's a type of congenital uterine malformation in which the uterus appears to be heart-shaped. Bicornuate uteri have two conjoined cavities, whereas a typical uterus has only one cavity. I looked up whether or not it was the same as a uterine septum. We learned about the uterine septum in in Hannah's episode, and it's not. The uterine septum is more easily removed laparoscopically. It's just a membrane that comes down through the center of the uterus rather than the whole shape of the uterus itself. They can correct a bicornuate uterus, but it's an open abdomen surgery, which is much more difficult and has a longer recovery. But we were, like, looking into freezing eggs and stuff, and then they're like, you have a bicornuate. And we were just like, just just let us go get chemotherapy, and this is too much. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. And you're like, I, my... And you're discovering that you have this disease at the same time, and you have to make all these decisions. Yeah. And my, my went from... Um, Stage zero to stage one in like three days. Oh my god! So it was like any day taken to go to a counselor or to have to wait to be ready to freeze eggs. You have to postpone chemo. Yeah, yeah. And it's dangerous. Yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. (laughs) Especially if you didn't want to be a mom anyway. No, no. Thanks, Amanda. Back to the main interview. Did Did you feel like that affected your feeling of being a woman your identity no but it affected my female emotional life meaning Mm. i i can't tell if i i wanted to credit it to being more emotionally like mature and that the reason i don't cry anymore is not because i don't have ovaries (laughs) it's because (laughs) i'm like in a better place Mm -hmm. but i do think like having um the removal of hormones and mm-hmm. I take like some supplements, but it's not the same. I, I'm far less emotional. Wow. Wow. And it's crazy. I did not realize like, are the ovaries that's, that is what is connected to your whole like cycle of like PMS and everything. And like all of that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't know. Your eggs. I don't know mm-hmm. much about hormones. Maybe this episode is going to be all about hormones. <laughs> Um, I know some of the hormones that we produce in our cycles are created in the ovaries, but also the pituitary gland. But like, I know that when you're pregnant, the HCG, that comes from your, what's it called? Corpus luteum in your ovaries. Whoa. Whoa. Have you heard that word before? No. (laughs) That's your, no, 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 Molly. Get it through your head. We have gone over this a million times. HCG is produced by the placenta. (laughs) So when you have the eggs in the ovaries, they're in the the follicle. 
Yes. They're inside a follicle. And mm-hmm. when the egg is released from the follicle, you have this empty follicle, and that turns into a corpus luteum. And that produces, I think, it produces progesterone and um, HCG. Oh, no. Oh, not HCG. Estrogen? H- no, I don't know what else. <laughs> but definitely not HCG or maybe HCG. Mm-hmm. See? This is... Mm-hmm all accurate <laughs> right i wonder if and here we're not scientists i'm gonna but look I into all of this what stuff. is what is produced in the pituitary gland is the same for male and female like human growth hormone or like is it the same right. and and is it what makes testosterone and what makes progesterone different and organs? estrogen is is i don't know but in i i wouldn't be surprised okay time to straighten this out The endocrine system. The endocrine system is made of eight major glands, each of which secretes different types of hormones that regulate metabolism, growth and development, tissue function, sexual function, reproduction, sleep and mood, and a bunch of other shit. In the brain, we have the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, the pineal gland. Then we have the thyroid gland in the neck, the thymus, which is under the sternum, the pancreas, the adrenal glands, and then in males, the testes, and in females, the ovaries. The testes produce testosterone and the ovaries produce progesterone and estrogen. Now, even though the ovaries and testes produce these hormones, all the glands in the endocrine system seem to work together to maintain different levels of hormones. Like follicle-stimulating hormone is produced in the pituitary gland. So FSH sends a message down to the ovaries at the beginning of every cycle, telling it to recruit a bunch of follicles. But how does the pituitary gland know when to do that? Well, first it has to get a message from the hypothalamus, which produces gonadotropin-releasing hormone. Life is crazy, people. I don't know how any of us actually exist. I mean, I have to take supplements for the rest of my life because I don't have ovaries. Yeah, so what supplements do you take? I basically take a birth control pill, which is oh. also hilarious. Because <laughs> there's no way I'm going to get pregnant, but it has progesterone and estrogen. And I can take it because my my cancer being from BRCA, being from genetics, is not a hormone-related cancer. Oh. So it's one of the few breast cancers. I had triple negative. Because it had no hormone involvement, I can take them. Okay. But people who have you know, hormone-positive po- breast cancers, which I think are the majority of them, they mm-hmm. cannot. And so if, they, if someone um, can't take the hormones and they do have to get a hysterectomy, what, does, what symptoms happen? It's like early menopause symptoms? Yeah, and I think they have to take tamoxifen. Is that right? I don't know what it's that some, is. It's some drug that then they mostly take, I think, for a, a real long time. And it has a lot of side effects and it's not fun. Oh. But I will just say there is some frustration in getting breast cancer at 35, which felt way older than getting lymphoma at 23, that the way we talk about breast cancer and how it's not a big deal, like, oh, my 83-year-old grandma survived <sighs> it and it's not. And even I thought of it that way. Like, I'm not really afraid of breast cancer. It is so dangerous yeah and we need to have a better understanding of that especially as young women like it's so dangerous and if you get it and if you don't find it and you get stage four it's incurable and so now i know so many stories of like young women who didn't who have lost their lives to this or or who just get a lumpectomy because they they are not scared enough and then i feel like i know a bunch of people who had lumpectomies and then it spreads to the other breast and it's just like I don't know. You don't hear those stories, really, though, you because you hear a lot of, I mean, yeah. obviously, everyone wants to be positive mm-hmm. and you hear a lot of like tales of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like I didn't I don't think I thought of it that way. Yeah. And it's like mine was very scary. There's another 
comedian Angela Trimber who's doing she's great. Yeah, yeah, I really she's, know her. Yeah. She's awesome. And I was talking to her and I was like, I hope, I hope before she knew what it was, I hope it's not serious. I hope it is one of those easy ones. But then it ended up being terrible. And I think she had Brock involvement too. And then you, it's so traumatic and such a big deal. And I'm like, we need to change how we think about it. It's, and how important like self exams are, which I didn't, I found mine by scratching. I had gone for a jog and I had scratched under my bra and it felt like, it felt like, a little bit more substantial than a mosquito bite, mm. but not much. And I was like this. And I was in high risk screening. I had gotten a mammogram in March. You're kidding. Because I had BRCA. Yeah. Yeah. And it was clear in and March. And you learned about your BRCA when you, because of the lymphoma back then? No, I, I, or you when just knew I, it from your family. History. Yeah, my family. And so we all got tested, mm-hmm. especially the women. And then both my sister and I are carriers. Wow. Unfortunately, because my dad's a carrier. Does it come from the dad? It can come from either. Oh. But people get really confused. Dad by it. was a carrier. Mom was a carrier. Just dad. Okay. The um, you don't have to have two genes. No. <gasps> Unfortunately, okay. you don't. So if one of your parents carries the BRCA gene mutation, you have a fifty percent chance of carrying it too. And that's the weird thing because my dad had five sisters, three of whom died for, from ovarian cancer. So it's like not dangerous. It is very slightly dangerous for a guy. It might increase their chance of breast cancer, but it's. Yeah. Not a big deal if you carry it as a man. But if he hadn't had all those sisters, maybe we would have never known that we had it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my sister preemptively, after I got sick, she preemptively did mysectomies and oophorectomies. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Good for her. And the se- what's the second thing you said? Uh, oophorectomy is removing your ovaries. Oh, just the ovaries. Mm-hmm. Did she have kids or? She had one from IVF. She did before mm-hmm. she had the procedure. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. She it, was oh, yeah. four when my sister did it. And how long were you and your husband together before you got married? Oh, good thing. A long time. Okay, that's what I was wondering. I was like, in the first year of marriage, that's so crazy to go through all of that. Yeah. It was. It was an interesting thing because I'm best friends with Mike Mm O'Brien, whom I was dating when I was 23 and got cancer. Oh, my gosh. So he had been through chemo and radiation and all that with me. And it was a very, like, life-defining thing. And when I met Ben, I was like, you don't want to get involved with me. I'm best friends with my ex. We perform together. We write together. Like, it's – we can't, like – we can't disrespect each other enough to, like, let go because we went through this thing when we were just babies. And then for Ben to have to go through it was like, oh, it was like knowing me on a level that he couldn't before. So there was something like, oh – yeah. I don't know how to explain it. It's but. like you achieved that same level of intimacy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Where you level that even though it's your husband, he never would have been able yeah. to get right. to. Like, yeah. suck it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you've Look been at replaced. this. We've got multiple surgeries. This is going to go on for two full years. <laughs> oh my De- God. Demoted. <laughs> so God. What, how, how did you find out about the lymphoma when you were 23? How does that manifest? Oh, my God. Again, and you you were performing at the time. And I was performing Chicago? at the time and had a day job, like a lot of us did. Mm-hmm. And my whole goal was to get on Second City Tour Company. Yeah, and you don't have insurance. You don't have insurance till you get a stage and can be equity. So I was living for that, and I was like, "Why is this taking so long?" But in retrospect, thank goodness because mm-hmm. Mike O'Brien's sister worked at Northwestern Hospital and ended up helping us both get jobs there. Oh. So I was working at Northwestern Hospital, which is the luckiest thing. That's amazing insurance. I was working for the university. Wow. I found a bump. I felt a bump in my chest. My my 
tumor was on my thymus, which is underneath your sternum. Uh-huh. So it was pushing my sternum out. Get out. But I felt it. And I remember I was going to the doctor to get it checked. I worked in a different department. Mike worked with elderly people doing walking studies, and they would just like fart the whole time. He would like have to <laughs> measure their circulation and everything, and, and they would try to walk fast, and they would just toot. And he was like with an old woman. I was like, I'm going to the doctor. And he's like, cool. And I go down to my appointment, and as soon as they saw the x-ray, they knew that, I mean, there was like hardly any chance that it wasn't lymphoma. And oh, so we geez. were completely underprepared. So like I went to a, the doctor thinking I had maybe like a fatty deposit or something and found out I had cancer. And I remember like coming up in the elevator and he's like, how was it? And, and he's like with a patient. I'm like, not good. Not good. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, 23 poor trying to be. And then I'm like, okay, now back then that would be a pre-existing condition for the rest of my life. So I'm like, I can't tour because uh-huh. I can't not have insurance. So I'm like, my whole life is over. I'll never work in comedy. I'm never going to be able to be on stage at Second City. And of course, none of that was true. Like life goes on and and yeah. um, many amazing things happened. Like I, I'm sure it has surprised you that I was going to hide it from the improv community because mm-hmm. I was like, this is terrifying. No one's going to think this is funny. No, everyone's going to be like, ugh. I don't want to be around that mm-hmm. um, life check, but there would be like 20 improvisers would show up to my chemo sessions oh, and bring gosh. like Cheetos and mashed potatoes and uh. just never let you feel alone. And it was... That's so wonderful. It was amazing. And yeah. I still... that Our community is something very extraordinary. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It makes me emotional. I'm like, I'll always love all those people. Yeah. That's so nice. They are the best people. You Chicagoans. Yeah. I mean, I love my yeah. LA, uh, my IO West people, yeah. but when y'all started moving to town, I really glommed on. And uh, um, yeah. yeah, I know, I know all of them. Yeah, They're, and people are always just like, "You're not from Chicago." I'm like, I've never been there. I know. I think of you as from Chicago. I, 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 I really like these Chicago there. people. Yeah. You're honorary. So is Jamie Moyer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, but my boss at the hospital. Everyone, it was so lucky to get sick when you work in a hospital because. You just go downstairs for your appointments and then you're not having to like drive and park yeah. and miss so much work. And she let me tour and and so that I could. She had been a dancer in Europe. So she let me oh tour and kind of miss work and try to make it up so that I would have health care. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Then I had to take the Vegas stage, oh. Second City stage, because it was equity and it was offered to me. And I had just moved in with Holly. We had perfected our apartment, Holly Laurent. And uh, then I got this Vegas offer and I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't even want to go, but I have to. Wow. And mm-hmm. how long were you in Vegas for? 11 months. Uh, and then I got Second City Main Stage. Thank goodness wow. it, it worked out. Was it out. crazy living in Vegas? I actually had a blast. It was <laughs> I so I kind of think I, might, I love Vegas. I, so uh, I could see myself really thriving. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing because you worked at night and you lived in a complex with like two pools and a gym and you had nothing else to do. And it was just like a very easy, very fun life. Like Cirque the Beatles shows was opening when I was there. I was teaching improv and they offered me a job to help the acrobats emote with their face. Like they weren't showing any. Wow. And I had to do all these interviews and I, I, they knew that I wasn't going to quit second city, but then we were just going into process, which is when you get to write, finally write your own material, which is how I was going to prove that they should hire me back to Chicago um, if I got a chance to write my own show. And they looked at the schedule and like, we need you here. You'll have to quit. 
Second City and it paid way more. It was like real money and working on the Beatles show. But I was like, no, I got to be on Second City. Oh, you are devoted. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Can you tell my listeners and me, I don't fully know yeah. how what what is the second city main stage why is it so incredible why does everybody love it and aspire to it so much it's the most fun job <laughs> there is i went from there to saturday night live writing for saturday night live yeah. and then have had been very lucky to have jobs out here but like but that's like it that's like the holy grail like people that's all people want out there and people used to come i was there for the 50th anniversary and like colbert and carell and amy sedaris and Catherine O'Hara, everyone coming back and saying, this is the best job you will ever have. And it is because it's one, it's it's a live audience who comes every night hungry for whatever you're going to say. Like they want to laugh. They're ready to laugh. You can get an apartment. I lived like a block away. It was my whole life. I got to perform, write my own stuff. That's why seven shows a week. It was so fulfilling and yeah. great. Can you tell us more about what lymphoma is or or is that a is it hard to define? No, it's a blood cancer. So mm. leukemia and lymphoma are blood cancers. They get paired together in like the Leukemia Lymphoma Society where people run marathons. They're always linked because they're blood cancers. Mm-hmm. Um but I feel like leukemia I'm not sure about this, but I think may never have tumors as a manifestation or maybe mm. it does, but I feel like lymphoma does and and I think it's gone up something like six hundred percent since the forties or something like the incidence. So they they are connecting it to pesticide runoff and the chemicals wow. and I don't know something about diet. But you have to have an immunity, a comp- compromised immune system at some point to like my brother and sister ate all the same things, drank all the same water. They didn't get sick like that. Mm-hmm. But I had mono. They think maybe when I had mono. something there was a hiccup but I'm also like to have BRCA I feel like there must be some link that they don't know yet like between BRCA and lymphoma yeah or just that I'm so I'm so eager to get cancer my body wants it (laughs) my body is actively always seeking it I think you're done I think you're done getting cancers (laughs) (sighs) I have tons of skin cancer from from radiation And from Mm. just being so fair, Mm. which is not, it's nothing like having to have chemo and radiation and surgeries, but Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. an ongoing annoyance. Mm -hmm. My sister, my half sister had breast cancer, but it wasn't BRCA. And I started getting mammograms when I was about 35, just because, I don't know, I lied and said she was my full sister and then it was covered. Oh, shoot. Am I going to get in trouble now? Oh. (laughs) <laughs> They're going to hear this. They, the gonna insurance companies have people listening to <laughs> yeah. all podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but I do that just in case. But I, the fact that you got you found yours. Both months. times. Both times I found my own. Yeah. So touch yourselves. Wow. That, you know yeah. what? <laughs> Listeners, everybody. I was putting lotion on last night. Mm-hmm. Or was it this morning? It all runs together. Anyway, I was putting lotion on and I was like, this is a good way to touch yourself. I mean, 
for yeah. to look for the any bumps or anything because mm-hmm. in the shower i don't i don't know i don't clean my boobs <laughs> right <laughs> dirty boobs <laughs> Molly has dirty boobs. They used to call me that in high school. (laughs) But, you know, I was putting lotion on. I was like, oh, okay. And then I did a nice exam. You've got to. I think that's the best um, defense. And almost everyone I know, either they or their gynecologist has found it. And Angela found hers, right? right? Or no? Uh, Well, she she found it. Then the first doctor told her that it was nothing. Oh, right. And then the second, she went like a year later and her gynecologist, I believe, found it or, or said, like, no, this is yeah. something. Oh, my word. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. But the first doctor was a guy. And I think it, I don't know if he, he wasn't a gynecologist. Maybe he was just a GE. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, someone told her not to worry about it. I guess that's another thing, like always get a second opinion, always worry about it. People are so deferential to doctors. And now I'm like, oh, I can spot a good doctor and a bad doctor in my way. And I'm not afraid to say no, mm-hmm. thank you. Well, what are some of those signs? <laughs> Something from your like that. Like, don't worry about it. I think he could have said you could get a second opinion or like if there's a bump in your body, I would investigate. Yeah. Not every time I find a bump, it's something very bad. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not trying to be alarmist, but why not go to another appointment just right. to really make sure? Yeah. Have them biopsy, have them test it. People who just don't have time and seem in a hurry, you can't get an appointment, you can't get them on the phone. People who don't send you your results. Mm, yeah like, that's a big problem yeah. or people that are w- walking out the door as you're trying to ask them questions they yeah. got their hand on the doorknob and you're trying to race to t- ask them anything yeah and <sighs> we just like in our country we like put doctors on a pedestal and it's like yeah. wow they, they know so much more than us and we're we don't want to be a bother but i feel like a lot of times you have a gut instinct about something mm-hmm. and you just have to push and the human body i mean it's confusing. They don't know everything. Yeah, know. they know way more than we do, mm-hmm. but it is a puzzle that they have not figured out at all, especially the reproductive system. Oh, boy. Mm. <laughs> They're just guessing. Yeah. They really Why is it are. still I mean, so hard? Educated guesses, but um, mm-hmm. it's too confusing. Yeah. I remember before meeting you, I remember seeing pictures of you on Facebook when you were going through your BRCA stuff, I yeah. think. Um did you have a Kickstarter or something? Or were people just posting lovely I things didn't. about you? It wasn't... Gosh, when was this? This is almost... This is five years ago. Um, but I remember seeing pictures of a woman in a in a scarf. You know, did yeah. you have a scarf on your head? Was no, that you? I just was bald. Maybe bald, I rocked it. It was you. I'm sure it was. I mean, I wonder if I had... Maybe I just added the scarf in my mind. Because you whip, that would have made you more comfortable if I had covered it up. No. <laughs> she projected that scarf oh on you. You wish I wore a scarf. No. I did not. Um, I, that was another time in my life where I'm like, okay, I had done SNL uh, for a year and a half. And then I was let go and was like, oh, it's over again. I have to right. move here and figure it out. And then I'd gotten a show called Sullivan and Son and... and they, they shut it down because he, the star of the show, um, got into a fight with a cabbie and the cabbie broke his jaw and he had to have his mouth wired shut. So we couldn't oh. film. Was so. that the show with like the white bar owner gets like an Asian stepson or something? Oh, no, it's his son. He just had a, a his wife was oh, Asian. Oh, okay. That's right. I remember. His dad was white. That show. His, I yeah. remember that show. So I, <laughs> that was unexpected. And then because of that, I got a job offer at Raising Hope and they keep you under contract, but they shut down and they stopped paying. And because that was happening, the showrunner let me go to Raising Hope. Oh. And 
it was like between raising hope and I was I was running all around town trying to for another staffing job and I like stopped in between staffing meetings at the hospital to get a breast check and I remember I was also going to pitch something to Tom Hanks company and oh my god I was like the biopsy was way more severe than I had expected and I had like these they give you these like ice packs to put in your bra and I was like my husband went to get the car because we were going to be late to Santa Monica to Tom Hanks company and I'm like rushing down and my phone's in my hand and I'm like I've got to keep my wits about me and um my phone buzzed and it said are you ready for some calm because I had put that meditation app on my and I'm like I don't have time for calm of course I'm ready I would love to Mm -hmm. have the luxury of meditating but I'm running from you know, interviews to cancer doctors to pitch meetings. And I was like, how am I going to do this? I had my first blind script deal, which is a thing for, well, it's for any writer, but I think newer writers take them more often with 20th. And they wanted to pitch a show called You, Me and Him about like a triangle where a, a man and a woman are best friends. And then that woman meets her soulmate and it's dramatic. Um, oh. It was funny but based on (laughs) me, Mike and Ben. Uh And I was like, they were like, we don't have to take it out anymore. You're sick. You don't have to take it out. I'm like, oh, I think we had better take it out because I have to do something and I can't be in a room. I can't staff. And so the first time I pitched to the networks, I was bald. Wow. Wow. I was like in chemo, bald, looked like an alien. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. What was that experience like? Like, do you feel like it shifted how they acted not really. And I wonder now of like, was it, did it, it probably did make them uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And hopefully this is shifting. I realized like as I got healthier and healthier, the jobs again were flooding in. I mean, not, that's a very lucky thing to say, but like, I think people were scared. To hire somebody that. Yeah. Was- and, and scared by even being in proximity. I think that's mm. a real thing. Oh, like, really? Like, not, not like it's contagious, but just like, I'm not trying to, <laughs> we're trying to make funny entertainment here and I'm not trying to like mm-hmm. deal with this tragedy that you cannot hide. You cannot hide yeah. it. And and I, I teach improv now. This amazing thing happened. Anyway, I, I, I remember that I was working with Imagine. They were the production company and they were like, maybe do a joke to just acknowledge it so that we can move past it when you go in. And I remember the joke was, and it felt so corny to do it over and over again. I like hate the thought of it. Oh but my God. I walk in there bald and I'm like, hey, um, guys, I just want you to know it's my make-a-wish to pitch to some real deal studio executives. Oh my God. And oh my God. <laughs> so this is a, a real special for me. And they were like, oh God, no, don't use your wish on us. Oh my, my God. Yeah. Oh my God, that's oh. incredible. <laughs> It's kind of nice to make those people squirm, though, a little bit. <laughs> it was funny. And I mean, I was unafraid. I was like, I had nothing to lose. And also, the show we were going to pitch involved my first cancer story. So right. I was like, I, yeah. this is part of who I am. Like, I can't hide from it. Yeah. It's like, got to empower me. Or why is this? Yeah. I have to turn it into something yeah. good. And you were pitching it with your husband? No. Who were you pitching it? By yourself? Um, With Imagine and 20th. So, with... With stranger friends, <laughs> friend strangers, um, but they were great. Imagine was great. Twentieth has always been great. Always acted unafraid of my illness, which was so helpful. And again, I did I did sell it to Fox, and that was how I kept insurance and 
like we were my husband moved for me multiple times. We were moving cities and he would have to start over. And it's like he had just moved after our wedding. He stayed in New York to finish a job he had, then moved after our wedding. Then I got sick and it was like he wasn't working. And if I hadn't sold that, we couldn't have stayed in the union. It was just very, very lucky. Oh, my God. And that I didn't have to ask anyone for help because that was enough. A network script was enough to to live on and to and to keep that's crazy the insurance but i did start a um when i had been in chicago on main stage i worked with gilda's club which they work in hospitals and often with women with cancer and i had taught a class they asked me to teach because they were like you've had cancer you're in second city these both overlap with gilda will you teach a class and it was one of the best things i ever did it was like a lot of women and their partners, so a lot of husbands, and people were like, you gave me my wife back. I haven't seen her since this diagnosis. And mm. I was like, this is a very powerful thing. It was originally used as like social work for children. Improv wow. was was in Hull House wow. in Chicago. And um, What do you mean originally? Like Viola Spolin. Oh. oh. No, Viola Spolin, who then. like the founder she yeah. started using it in the the settlement houses where all the kids spoke different languages and they were living in abject poverty and she was doing games with them like as a coping wow that's why i never knew that about improv yeah <laughs> so viola spolin then then like her son paul sills and these people broke off did players workshop and then players workshop broke off and did second city but it all really started in like kind of a therapeutic setting and anyway when i got sick the second time i i had been interviewing with like children's hospitals and Gilda's Club in Chicago to like, if clowning can go in with kids, what if improvisers could go in Mm -hmm. and kids who are hooked up to IVs could still play? Mm -hmm. They're not just being passively entertained. Mm -hmm. And we were slowly chipping away and then I got hired to SNL and I was like, peace, got bigger (laughs) fish to fry. (laughs) Just it was all consuming. And um, I left and then when I got sick again, when you finish chemo at Cedars, you interview with a doctor named a rash asher and he is phenomenal and he was doing this program called grace for people who um there's no other treatment option so they know they're gonna die and each week had a theme like meditation one week was comedy and on the comedy week i read about it before i met with him for my chemo exit interview and i was one of the lucky ones because i was in not remission what do they call it complete pathological response wow a complete pathological response or pathological complete response anyway Hmm. i was doing as well as i could be doing and i said oh and on your comedy week you show seinfeld clips if you ever wanted i would volunteer i used to teach improv to cancer patients and it's a really cool thing and he said oh my gosh really what is that why don't you come we have reunions and why don't you come meet with a grace group so i went and met with a grace group and it went really well of course because improv is truly amazing (laughs) and he said has it ever been studied and I said I don't know so he started to research if it had been studied and then he's like we're gonna pair together I'll do the science you do the write the curriculum so I wrote the curriculum we were doing six weeks with women stage zero to stage three breast cancer who there were all these parameters anyway I asked second city the owner of second city Andrew Alexander if he wanted to contribute to the study. And this is an amazing thing. He was like, yes. And he contacted the hospital and said, I want to pay Shelly's salary. But I had told them I didn't want a salary because it was it was therapeutic for me to mm-hmm. be helping in some way. And he goes, really? Okay, well, I'll just pay for the whole study. He paid wow. for the whole study. They didn't oh have to like, get a grant. And we had two 
sessions and it was the most amazing thing. It's like when you have cancer and you're a woman, like you cannot hide it. it like for a man that's bald, maybe people aren't like, what is happening? Right. I mean, and you can wear a wig, but it's hot and uncomfortable and it feels like it felt like a lie to me. I just couldn't do it. And um, everyone treats you like when they see you, they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, everything is so serious. Everything right. is so dire. No one is like, let's joke, let's laugh. Let's, <laughs> there's still funny things happening in the world. Yeah. And, and all of the resources are kind of like about kind of wounding out or talking about how there is PTSD involved. And this was a class where none of, it, none of that happened. Like, maybe before or after people would compare notes about what was going on with their treatment. But it went so well and statistically proved that it lowered stress, anxiety, and depression in women with breast cancer and chemotherapy. And so now there's like, it's growing. Oh my goodness. This and is an incredible, incredible story. Yeah. This is crazy. Okay, keep and, telling oh, me. Oh, also Cedars asked me to do this speech at their cancer luncheon, which ended up being huge, this huge ballroom in Beverly Hills. And then there was another ballroom where people were watching on a television. And my speech was funny and I'd had to had it approved by the media people before we did it. And then the woman that went before me was like a, a big time manager and her speech was so sad. And I was like, oh, no, people are going to think I'm making fun or, or I got nervous about my speech, but I had to say it because it had been approved. Yeah. And I got up there and I was like, you know, ways to use cancer to your benefit. You can get a free hotel upgrade because you just point to your head like things I had done and people do your laundry. Friends come over and do your laundry. It's great. But. All these people came up to me afterwards, including a Holocaust survivor who was like, I need this. I need I need this class. And I'm like, I'm sorry, it's still in research. Um, so it's very the parameters are like no men, no one who's having any cancer. But, you know, oh. breast can right now. Anyway, people really want to laugh about it and and mm -hmm. be able to find something other than the tragedy in it. And and. It, Colleen Doyle's teaching one. Oh, good. Um, awesome. Uh, Rebecca Sohn mm -hmm. has signed up to teach one. And Lauren um, Dowden, who you might not know. She's know just her. came from Chicago recently. But she I'm going to get to know her. You got to know her. She did work with Alzheimer's and, and oh. improv, which is another huge use. And when I, I wrote a, a veterans hospital pilot with Jim Parsons company, Jim Parsons really mm -hmm. wanted to take out a comedy <laughs> VA hospital idea. And I was like, it's not funny. But here, here's my take on making it funny. And it, and it was it, we ended up writing something good. But I my dad's a Vietnam vet. And I was trying to meet vets who were younger. And it was through improv connections, of course. And all of them were like improv saved my life because it's therapy in disguise. Mm -hmm. So there's no so I'm like, Oh, my God, we need to get improv into veterans hospitals. We need to get it for Alzheimer's caregivers. Mm -hmm. It would be huge. It's like, I think it's, yeah, my dad calls it a cult. I call it the Holy Grail. Yeah, <laughs> I believe all that. That's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. I mean, it definitely improv sucked me in for yeah. 12 solid years. It's an art form, and I, but I've never thought about it as a therapy before. It's like this idea that we're not in control. Like you have to mm -hmm. actively choose to give up control, which we are not. Mm -hmm. Nothing else in our society is trying to teach us that skill. So when you're when you're doing improv, you do, and you learn that it can be fun to just give up, give up to whatever's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. super helpful for people who are sick and who are trying to control, trying yeah. to hold on to a life that they don't have anymore. Yeah. yeah. Also, like being present, right? Just kind yeah. of like listening and being in the moment. Yeah. I could see how that could re be really helpful. Yeah. yeah. And this thing of like judging 
we're taught by every other <laughs> source yeah. to judge other people and judge ourselves and be so hard on ourselves and therefore others. And this teaches you like, hey, everybody's got some piece of this puzzle and why don't we work together? And it's just so much healthier to look. To, you have to, when you have cancer, you're like, oh, I can no longer fully take care of myself and do all the things alone that I used to do. I have to rely on others. I have to be open to this like yeah. being not just a negative, but a good thing of welcoming people in and accepting where I'm at, which yeah. is not my best, you know? <laughs> anyway, if if I could get paid, that's my other off-ramp, is doing like, you know, improv therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Interior thrift design, improv therapy. So... <laughs> TV, you don't got me. Yeah. You don't got me. I may just leave. Yeah. That's great. That's the key. It makes you, don't you got so me, attractive. <laughs> we all have a lot of off ramps. Oh, Amanda's yeah. got her new company. Podcast that's Network. A, that's an off ramp. Cool. I've mm-hmm. taken the off ramp, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, that's crazy and wild and inspiring. And I'm just happy you shared that with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and I feel like somewhere in between the people who are like women don't have to be moms and I never will and fuck you society and between the people who want to be moms just like oh there's some middle way to be yeah and figuring it out it it there is a lot of pressure from society about not being a mom choosing not to be a mom Mm -hmm. or choosing to be a mom in some alternative way I'm sure there's a lot of pressure with that too and it's just like I feel very curious about all roads and also like this is a new, this is not the time, cut this. But um, how much more public your your mothering skills, in quotes, are. Oh, yeah. Like, moms talk about how all the mom shaming now and all the people keeping tabs on each other, and yeah. it just didn't used to be that way. It's, like, really hard to to be a mom and, you know, make yeah. mistakes and succeed without having a bunch of people chime in on it. Right. Yeah, everybody's got a, an opinion. They want, mm-hmm. They want to put their two cents in. My friend just had a baby at UCLA Hospital, and she said the nurses, the nursing nurses were so militant and cruel that her and her husband were like, we have to leave as soon as possible. Like, we, Seriously? This is horrible what hospital? treatment. UCLA. God. Just that they're so all about breastfeeding, and as a new mom, you don't know what's happening. And she had to have her baby because it was not getting enough nutrients from her placenta, so it was early. Oh. And so then she's, like, trying to breastfeed, and they're like, you have to pump more. You have to do this. You have to do that. And it's like no one will bring up formula. They're not even allowed to bring it up, even if your kid is like not getting. It's just wow. crazy. I feel like the culture is a bit out of control. We need to have like some return to the 80s where like moms could be like, go play for 10 hours. See you later. Right, <laughs> I mean, like, it is such a stark difference uh, from the way I grew up. Like, yeah. I, you know, getting stitches, breaking yeah. feet. <laughs> yeah. Which is part like, of it. They yeah, need to. Stepping on rusty nails. Mm-hmm. I. I did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I walked around barefoot and pantsless for yeah. about 10 years. Yeah. I didn't wash my hands till I was 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and like, you probably have a strong immune and system bicycles for and go-karts with no mm-hmm. helmets. And yeah. I just, oh, I don't know. This is another way, form of judgment, though. This is a, judging people who are strict yeah. uh, about their children's safety and mm-hmm. quote-unquote helicopter moms and stuff like that. Um I, don't I just know don't know. Did. I don't know in LA if you're allowed to not be a helicopter mom. <laughs> I don't think it's allowed. Yeah. 
Maybe in the cabin in Altadena. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, if and when you can go live there for a while and okay. hide from society. I'll take it. I'll take it. And when we stop recording, I'm going to ask for your advice about something Amanda and Molly related. Ooh. No, it's not. Oh, it's not yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I love that. I just want to complain more about yeah. my career. Good, do. I <laughs> love it. I love commiserating. It's so fun. It gives me a little energy boost. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Shelly. Thank you. Thanks, Shelly. And thank you, Dr. Winkler and Dr. Kalen at Los Angeles Reproductive Center. I really love you guys. And thank you, aerospace engineer, Tinder date, baby daddy, John, for letting me share that story. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Patreon subscribers. I love you all, every single one of you, except you, John, because not yet. It's just too soon. Hey, everyone, if you want to follow Shelly on Instagram, it's Shelly Lynn Gossman. Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, Lynn, L. Y-N-N Gossman G-O-S-S-M-A-N Want to ask me a question? Toot my horn or scold me? Go ahead. Hit me up via email at spermcast at gmail.com Text or call 323-741-1818 or follow me and DM me on all social media at spermcast Want to show your support for the show? Then please text your friends about this show. Send them a link and make sure you're subscribed so that you never miss an episode. Want to help pay for my fertility treatments and have access to exclusive content like ultrasounds and pregnancy tests? Well, heck, you better go to my Patreon page and subscribe right now for just a dollar a month. It's so easy. Patreon.com forward slash spermcast. One day I'm going to have merch and I'm going to have discounts on that merch for all my subscribers. Oh, you know what? On my Patreon this week, I'm going to post my insemination, the video. It's not You're not going to see my vagina, but you can see the ultrasound. It's cool, everybody. It's life being created, kind of, hopefully. Okay, friends, thanks again for listening. That's the show. Love you. Bye. He could be bald and bearded, shorter or tall. Funny, smart, love basketball. From gay, straight, black to white. Tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by ACAST. 